Welcome to the Carmelite Conversations podcast. I'm Tim Beat, a member of the Secular Order of Discalced Carmelites and also a member of the community of Our Mother of Good Counsel in Dayton, Ohio. This podcast is one of our apostolates to teach people about Carmelite spirituality. And today I'm excited to have a conversation with Annette Goulden, author of the book Rooted in Love, Louis and Sally Martin, Models of Married Love, Family Life, and Everyday Holiness. The book is published by ICS Publications, our favorite publisher of Carmelite books. Welcome, Annette. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tim, for um, organizing this. And it's great to be here and to be able to talk to the secular Carmelites in the USA because we don't have enough contact with you. And maybe this is the beginning of something. Yeah, that would be that would be great. We should have an, an international congress where we can all get together at some point. That would be wonderful. Sure. Yes, yes. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in both Carmelite spirituality and the Carmelite saints. Well, my background is that I became um, a doctor and then a, a psychiatrist and then a child psychiatrist. And uh, I was always impressed by the, um, the, not holiness so much as the courage and dedication of the parents I met. Because of course, the children I met were those who had problems by definition. And uh, the way the parents had to cope with problems was quite astounding. And then um, at the same time, I was seeking some kind of deeper way of living my life as a, as a Catholic and searched around and eventually um, went to a retreat at the Carmelite Priory. And I knew then I had come home. That was where I belonged. And uh, then I uh, joined the secular order. And it's very interesting that as new people come in, the first thing they say is, I feel I've come home. So I felt I had come home. And the Carmelite saints, well, Therese is um, bowled me over when I read her as a child psychiatrist. I'm, I hope you won't be too horrified for me to say that I was astounded by the pathology of this child, of her depression, of her um, uh, fear about offending people, of her fear of the dark, of her need to be mollycoddled, of her after her mother died, the, the series of losses that she had and unexpressed grief because children weren't kind of recognized for needing to grieve in her age, in her time. And even her surrogate mother went off to, to Carmel um, and left her alone, poor girl. And, and then she didn't know how to play with children because she'd never been in a mixed school or anything, or even a girls' school. And it just goes on and on until she became, she found her home, if you like, in Carmel, in a dysfunctional community. And so it goes on. And uh, this, this girl bowled me over. And uh, the other person who still bowls me over a bit is Teresa of Avila because of her amazing, prescient understanding of psychology. And so much of her advice to her nuns, especially in the way of perfection, is um, just damn good psychology, really, uh, which is uh, useful today for our own mental health. I think a lot of times we forget because they're saints and they had so much holiness and so much perfection in their lives, we forget that they were human and had mm -hmm. not only as adults, but as you said, as children and had a lot of struggles and things that they had to overcome just like you and I. Absolutely. Yes. 
So Louis and Sally were canonized in 2015 by Pope Francis during the Synod on the Family, and they were the first married couple to be canonized together. Tell us a little bit about who they were and why their message is important for us today. Well, they were a very ordinary couple of people, um, but I think both very clever. And uh, they both had a background in um, Napoleon's wars. Their um, great uncles and aunts were, sorry, um, grandfathers had been even involved in the French Revolution. So they had a very strong both background history in the politics of France. But they met um, on a bridge and just fell in love, even before Louis's mother had arranged for them to meet. And this was, um, I wouldn't say pure chance, because of course it was the Holy Spirit, but it was they who made the choice and not Louis's mother. But we mustn't blame her mother because Louis was the only surviving child of five that she had. She, he was the middle one and all the others died. Um, so she was very concerned when Louis said, I want to become um, a monk. And I think probably very relieved when he was turned down because he didn't have Latin. He left school too early and uh, his best will in the world and efforts to learn Latin just made him ill. And he realized it wasn't for him. And Zini wanted to become a nun, but her mother got to see the the, um, the got to see the mother superior first. And it is thought that maybe she uh, put her off because Zini wasn't accepted. We don't know why. And then she realized her true vocation was to have children. And she said, um, uh, I realized that all I wanted in my life was to have a children to give to God. So they both um, met on the bridge, both dealt with tiny little things. She was an artisan in making the famous Alençon lace. He was an artisan in making beautiful and expensive watches and clocks, which he sold to extremely wealthy people. So uh, they then, um, there was some delay before the children came along because he thought, um, it was more pure to have a pure, what they called a white marriage in those days. But luckily his confessor uh, put him right on that one and uh, they started a family. Yeah, so, lucky uh, lucky for us with all, all those Carmelite yeah. daughters. <laughs> with all those Carmelite daughters and maybe another, the next saint was the one who wasn't a Carmelite, Leonie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the Martins, they were a fairly wealthy French family and they lived in Normandy in the 19th century. How would you say, how was their life similar and how is it different from family life today? Sometimes when you read these things, it seems so far away. You think, well, I didn't have anything in common with them. Um, but it, in your book, you share some of the ways that they were different, but some of the ways they're similar to our life today. Yes, they um, they suffered many great things in their short married life together. They were only married for 19 years before um, Zeely died of breast cancer. And then... Um, uh, Louis carried on for another, I uh, think, about 18 years after that, before he died, bringing up the children on his own. So uh, already that brings us into some uh, link with, with ways things are at the moment. We have single parents, often fathers as well as mothers. They suffered the u- usual worries about their children and their education. They um, Five children survived, but four died. Now, that's a difference. Our death rate is not so high now. It was particularly bad at that time because it was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. 
and the railway had just arrived at Alençon, their town, which um, was a good thing, but it also carried disease. And uh, TB, of course, uh, typhus, syphilis, you name it, it carried it. And uh, the death rate uh, rose amongst children. Uh, to have four children out of nine die was about average, which wow. is pretty shocking these days. Um, the other similarities are that they had the same problems regarding work-life balance that we have. Zeely worked incredibly hard at home running her own business. Uh, they had problems with uh, staff. Uh, one of the, them, the, the maid was turned out to be bullying the children. She didn't know about it. She, they both had to cope with recession in France, which was very broke after the invasion by the Prussians. And uh, they both had to manage money in a way that was, um, we'll come on to that maybe later, but they managed it in a way that was Christian and um, generous and just. I think I would say that. Uh, they invested, they had property. And in some ways, I'm thinking, as, as I think about it, I think these people got more in common with us than if they were poor and destitute, because so many of us in the Western world are pretty well off mm -hmm. and relatively speaking. So we have that in common. The thing we don't have in common, I think you'll come on to later, is the lack of uh, treatment for infections, no antibiotics, a very poor understanding of uh, infection rates, of, of sterility, uh, keeping things sterile so you don't pick up infections. And uh, the lack of opportunity maybe for women which uh, made entering a convent or being married the two main choices. Zeely broke the mold, we must admit. And uh, interestingly enough, um, she broke the mold because she had to earn her own diary. This is another difference. Um, in those days, if you were in the middle class, to marry you had to produce a diary as a woman, or to become a nun you had to produce a diary. Without a diary, not many families would particularly want you to marry their sons. But uh, she was became self-sufficient through learning about the Alonso Lace and becoming a very proficient and renowned businesswoman. Do you think the amount of death in their families, both of, of um, children in, in childbirth and just in general, how did that impact their lives? That That is so different where today it's so common for people to live into their 80s and 90s. And it seems tragic if somebody passes away in their 60s. But back then, yeah. it was so common. How do you think that that impacted their, I guess, their uh, view and outlook on life? It it, it certainly made Zeely uh, much more um, accepting of death than maybe we are today. I mean, at one stage, she said, uh, our lives are so very short, we never know what's going to happen. because." Uh, a middle class, an ordinary couple, a healthy couple, walking along the pavement, fell into um, a large hole in the pavement, which the builders had failed to cover up in the dark, and they were dead. The next morning, she said, this is what life's about. But she also suffered, in spite of um, having four children die, she didn't, if you like, get used to it. Each one caused her the same suffering and grief as if one of our children were today in our families to, to pass away. And the grief for the death of her, her father, for example, was very, very poignant 
she said she wandered around the graveyard thinking that he was going to re-emerge any minute. She couldn't believe that he was dead. All the actual classic symptoms of grief she went through. And when her the five-year-old daughter, Helene, died, we think she might have had leukemia or something. We don't know why she died age five. Uh, her mother just said, I want to, I want to die. I want to be with her. And um, so she, although it was around her, each one hit her very, very deeply. And we can't say that, oh, yes, she was a saint, therefore she just trusted God and it didn't touch her. I think it touched her very deeply. Um, so that is a big difference, but her response to each death, I think, was the same as ours would be. I wonder if it taught them resilience a lot earlier. Um, it reminds me of uh, Teresa of Avalon talking about, you know, her determined determination. Yes. And when you have things like that, the the resilience that you, you can go one of two ways, I guess. You can become more resilient with that or you can give up um, yes. where, where you have so much uh trauma in your life on such a regular basis, not knowing. I mean, for most of us today, we don't really think about, will somebody in the family pass away? It would be such a surprise. But back then, death was kind of around you, kind of that uh, reminder, I guess, that life is short was around you all the time. Indeed, I think it, resilience, well, she was a very resilient woman anyway. Obviously, um, she'd had to start being resilient in her teenage years due to lack of diary and having to get a job and everything. But um, I think what it did for Zeli and Louis was increase their total trust in God. And this is what's so amazing, that although they were hit very hard, they had a very deep belief that God loved them and would only give them what, what she said, God only gives us what we can bear. But another time she says, I know that whatever God gives me is, is due to, is, is what he is the best for me, um, in spite of the trauma of going through all these deaths. And, and certainly Louis, uh, later on in his years, when his, I think by this time, Therese had been entered into the Carmel, which made him very distraught, actually. He said to God, he prayed to God and said, dear God, I am just too happy in spite of everything that's happened to me. So their faith and their Unlimited trust in God is what enabled them to pull through, I think, and not to give up, as, as you thought, mentioned. So they, in many ways, they're similar to us today. On the other hand, they have three canonized saints in the family, one doctor of the <laughs> church, four daughters who became Carmelite nuns, and one who's recognized as a servant of God and whose cause for beatification is underway when you look at all that, all those things, it seems like, boy, this is an impossible act to follow. Is that oh, the case? Know. We don't know, do we? <laughs> I mean, we don't know how many of our children are going to become saints, do we? And they didn't know either. <laughs> they just did the best they could uh, under very, very difficult circumstances. And it's interesting that an awful lot was packed into their short marriage, relatively short marriage. I, I think of them as, as a concertina, you know, the, the um, accord, piano accordions. Uh -huh. And when you push it in, it's very short. But when you pull it out, you get all the sound, the music, and then you play the buttons and you get tunes. And uh, in that short marriage, they concertina, they concentrated 
so many experiences that um, none of us could possibly uh, envisage going through all that in our short life, short married life. But I think God, in a way, does that with with people who who He's going to raise up um, as examples to us and inspiration to us. It was the same for Therese. I mean, she died age twenty four, and she's a doctor of the church. Uh, in such a short life, she became such a great heresy. Um, sorry, uh, influence on 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 us and for us. So, um, first of all, we don't know. Secondly. The way they influence their children to, if you like, enable them to uh, dedicate their own lives to God was just through their example, not through their preaching. I think it was St. Francis who said, I preach, and if I must, I'll speak <laughs> with words. <laughs> um, because they preached, if you like, just through their example. And Therese, when she was very tiny, was desperate to go to Mass with her mum in the morning. They both went to the 5.30 Mass every morning. The neighbours used to say they could time their clocks by the front door closing. <laughs> because, uh, And that was the workers' mass. Uh, you know, they were going with the working classes, which was uh, you know, other people would go to a, a later mass, which would be more for the bourgeois. And uh, their whole life was centred on this, as I said, trusting God, but in a kind of joyful prayer and Joy with being with their children, joy with playing with their children, giving them attention. Every night, uh, Zili would be up um, saying the prayers with her children. Uh, Sunday afternoons would be sitting around the fire, roasting chestnuts, and Dad singing, he had a great voice, singing songs and telling stories. He was a great um, craftsman. He used to make little toys for the children. He used to play in the garden with them. He gave them pets to play with. Uh, and. Uh, they just, it rubbed off on these children as being an example of the love of the God the Father and of, of mum. But of course, for Therese in particular, she was only four and a half when her mum died. But uh, that gives us heart because all we've got to do is be the best parents we can. And I see it all the time. I see it in my own, my own children and their wives. It's just amazing the way parents give their lives for their children these days, far more than I did, I think. <laughs> you know? So uh, what does, um, you talked about uh, Louis a little bit and, and the family. Um, we don't have as many models maybe today, or we need more models for married men. Talk about Louis a little bit. How can he be a, a saint for men to turn to when things get tough? I think that's a very good question because you're quite right. There aren't enough men around and uh, male um, saints, if you like, single uh, married men. But um, I've, I've given it some thought. I think one thing is he was adaptable. He was always searching for God's will. And when things didn't turn out the way he wanted them to, he moved on to something else. He didn't kind of get stuck. So he wanted to become a monk, as I said, at Mount St. Bernard, the wonderful pass in Switzerland. He loved the mountains, he loved the open air, he loved walking. It was just the place for him, but he couldn't get the Latin, so they wouldn't have him. So then he decided to become a clockmaker like his uncle. Uh, then he got, um, he wanted to be a kind of lay monk and uh, live a life of prayer and work. But um, as I've mentioned, fell in love with this gorgeous woman called Zili. And uh, 
then you wanted to have this white marriage and then that got changed and we see a man going coming with a lot of ideals into a marriage who then has to adjust and as the children came along he had to adjust even further and then the greatest adjustment of course when his wife died i think maybe that's a model for us but uh, before she died he uh, adjusted his own work style to support her her job so he is a model of caring for his wife caring for his children and just enjoying them and uh, giving them an example of a prayer and and sacramental life um right because uh, when his um her business became so successful that he sold his to help yes, her yes he sold it in order to give her more work because yeah. if he did <laughs> he went off to the big shops in paris and drummed up more business for her so she was absolutely overwhelmed by the end uh, she, she, he, the Alonso lace was even exhibited at, at the London exhibit, the Great London Exhibition, uh, at Crystal Palace. So uh, she was very well known. So yes, it, it's it's an example of resilience. You've mentioned that word, resilience and uh, adaptability, and response to uh, whatever life threw at him. But in my mind, he came into his own sadly, I suppose, when his wife died and he had to be the only parent. And then he was very practical. He moved to Lisieux to be near his brother-in-law um, to uh, enable them, the children to have cousins nearby. Um, and this is where we learn about his evenings around a fire with the children, with him playing in the garden with their, their, their pets, their jackdaw, their dogs, their everything. Um, and uh, we learned then, as the children left home, um, as every adult, as every child goes into adulthood, they have to leave home, however desperate he was to miss them. He um, then said to God, you've given me so much, I want to give you the last thing I can, I want to give you everything. And God it took him at his word and took his mind. Now, this was a man who lived by his mind. He was very intelligent and... Um, uh, deeply thoughtful man uh, who's self-taught in lots of ways of the philosophers of France and he um, lost his mind to dementia vascular dementia and even during that he saw it as his final vocation and I find that incredibly heartening um, so many I think the only way is to get to know him through talking to him and my feeling is that he wants to talk to us. He wants to be with fathers today. And the more we mm -hmm. turn to him as the, as our own as dads with our own problems with our own children or whatever situation we're in, the more we'll get to know him, the more we'll discover that he is a man like men today and not kind of some holy glow up in the tower doing his prayers by himself. Now, you had mentioned previously that both parents – at first, they wanted to enter religious life, but they they were turned down or not accepted, oh, yeah. which I'm sure was difficult for them. With all your research, was marriage just kind of like the second best, the next best thing for, uh -huh. for them? Or how did they take a, a look at that? Because that was a, uh, if they thought about living your life one way and it changes like that, how did they embrace that and how did they view it? Well, I did wonder that myself to start with, I must say. But uh, 
Zeely makes it very clear that, in a sense, being turned down freed her to discover her vocation, which was to have children. In her depth of her heart, she knew that. Um, Louis doesn't, we don't hear so much from him because it's uh, Zeely who writes all the letters, but uh, it certainly freed him up also to, to be a married man. But to start with, he found it harder to let go of his own uh, image of, of, of sanctity, because bear in mind at that time, and even in my time, not so long ago, if you wanted to be perfect, you, the Catholic Church was adamant that perfection came through celibate religious life. And uh, so they were ahead of their time in wanting to live a perfect life according to God's will through marriage. Mm -hmm. So they exemplified the sacramental aspect of marriage um, ahead of us today. And that is another reason why they are quite an inspiring example. But I think for Louis, it took longer. But clearly by the end, he knew that he had fulfilled everything that God wanted of him. Uh, and the other thing is that once they were turned down, they didn't dwell on it and feel a failure. They just got on with doing something else. And that's a very important lesson for us. Yeah, very, very important. Um, you know, we often associate holiness with... Um, Things, you know, with celibacy, like you just said, or poverty, detachment, prayer, good works, which they had a lot of, but they also lived pretty comfortably, as you had mentioned. They had a maid and they had a cook. Was that comfort an obstacle for them toward holiness? <laughs> Again, on looking at it superficially, you could say yes, but the way they lived with their cook and their maid was to incorporate them into their family life, to trust them as their own children. Zeely says, I look after my, my workers as my children. She employed about 12 people to uh, make the different, um, different bits of lace that she put together to make the final garment. And um, she put herself out even more, I think, because they were... Um, uh, staff, if you like, to, to help her in her full-time job. But many of us, I mean, I had a full-time job and I used to have to get childcare. So I had a, I had us employed somebody too. And how many of us do now? We have live-in nannies or whatever. If you're working full-time, you need, you need some help. So in that sense, it was not so different. For them, the generosity and their... Um, What's, what would you say? Planned use of money without being a servant to money. Um, made money, made wealth uh, a step towards sanctity, not a step away from it. So they used it to help others. They were always lending money, for example, to uh, Zeely's uh, brother, younger brother, Isidore, when he was trying to set up his pharmaceutical work. And there's a rather poignant letter where she writes and says, I'm terribly sorry, I can't lend you any money this time because we've just lost you know, all, all our, uh, our shares have just gone down the tubes and uh, I'm waiting mm -hmm. to be paid and et cetera, et cetera. So they also use their money to uh, support the poor and the suffering. 
um, Louis called it uh, God's portion. So everything that they earned, certain percentage was God's portion and was given to uh, the poor through the Vincent de Paul Society, of which he was a member. And uh, they had an open door. They would go out and if they saw somebody who was so poor and starving, they would just invite them in and give them a meal. This is where the maid, the cook came in useful. And uh, I think they weren't, they weren't slaves to it. It didn't bother them, but they used it rightly. Um, in the end, Zelia was extremely wealthy. She worked so hard. She'd already paid the diaries for all her children, enough for their diaries. And um, she often complained that she was a slave to her work. But uh, the money wasn't the main issue for them. It really sounds like they had a good handle on being detached and detachment with in their lives, whether it was not being accepted into a religious order and accepting it and detaching from that and moving on, or whether it was their, their money. Yep. That's a, a, another way, I guess, they're a great model for us today, because certainly as parents, detachment is so important. Obviously, not that we don't love our children, um, but there are so many things today, even more things to become attached to yes. that, than they were back then when life was a little bit simpler. We, yes, talked, yes. we talked a little bit about the, um, you know, the life expectancy and um, how unpredictable death was because they didn't have antibiotics and you couldn't get immunized. They didn't know how to sterilize things and have all the, the modern medicine today. How did those type of things impact them as parents in taking care mm -hmm. of their children? It seems like it would certainly make it more difficult as a parent when you couldn't mm -hmm. just call up and get an antibiotic or, you know, you, you yeah. today we have access to so many different um, mm -hmm. types of health care, but they didn't have them back then. No, they relied very much on themselves. And uh, uh, Zili would take advice from her um, younger brother who was training, who did train as a doctor before he became a pharmacist. But uh, I think it made them much more aware of the uh, of, of the balance of between life and death. I mean, apart from the four, the three babies that died and the five-year-old little girl, um, three of the other children were very near death at some stage due to illness. Um, Lena was very, very poorly. She had eczema from for over a year as a, as, as a, a baby completely covered with eczema and there's no way of treating it apart from wrapping it up in bandages. Um, I think uh, uh, Mo Mo Marie nearly died of, of typhoid. Um, she got typhoid infection was sent to school. Um, and then there's the whole question of the um, feeding of the infants because of gastroenteritis. Uh, if, if they were not breastfed and Zili could no longer breastfeed after she had Leonie because maybe at that stage their cancer was affecting her. So they lived in a realization that death could actually take their children away anytime. Um, and for, for Louis, he felt so helpless. He would just go on a pilgrimage to pray to Our Lady, which um, perhaps that was the best thing he could do. But again, it was they just had to trust that God would protect their children if you wanted them to live. That was big. And they did practical things. I mean, for example, Pauline wasn't allowed home during a whole Easter holiday because Marie was ill in bed and they had some inclination. Mum thought that if she came home, she might pick it up. So there was some understanding of 
mm-hmm. disease. So one question that a lot of people have is they wonder whether Louis and Zelly were canonized because they were the parents of St. Therese. You know, you have so many uh, in, in one family, which is so unusual. What do you think the relationship was there between uh, in their canonization? Certainly they were known. We know who they are because of St. Therese. But did that, did that impact the canonization in your opinion? Uh, no, I think they were judged, if you like, you know, on their own merits. Uh, if, if they were judged to be saints due to Therese, then we, none of us have got any hope, of course, because we can't produce another Therese. So it had to be completely on their own merits. And certainly they, uh, the first stage, I think, is called um, heroic virtue. You put forward to somebody in the first stage of, on the path to sanctity as a person of heroic virtue. Now, I've mentioned this concertina effect. In their short married life together and Louis' long um, balancing span of life as a single father, they concentrated so many aspects of this determination, trusting God, coping with huge setbacks, war, um, the Prussians invaded Alençon and the, the town was shelled and uh, we haven't even looked at the, the impact of war on this family. But the heroic virtue that they displayed through the very things we've been talking about, Tim, the um, everyday aspects of family life, of educating your children, of caring for them when they're sick, this is what made them saints. And they did not know that Therese, the last thing they thought was Therese was going to be a saint. I mean, she was just a 15-year-old girl after all. Uh, they didn't know that Marie was Marie wasn't going to become a nun. She was going to get married. Um, she was far too fond of dancing and pretty dresses. Pauline always wanted to become a nun, but they didn't think she'd be a Carmelite. And Celine was just left behind, and she joined her sisters later. But she was very uncertain about whether that was her calling. I guess so, that's one thing about being a parent that you're always surprised at by what yeah. your kids do and decide to do or how they change their minds. It's always, um, there's certainly no way to know that for sure. And the Martins were no different than us. No, but what they did do is give their children the freedom to choose. And what Zeely did do was arrange for her children to have a spiritual director who was very much part of their family. Um, and uh, I think he did influence Marie to realize she had a vocation, but didn't didn't force her. So she, so they they set the path for their children towards whatever they wanted to do. Are there any other aspects of the Martin's family life that are important for us today? Well, we haven't discussed Zeely's uh, response to uh, untreatable breast cancer. But her response was very much um, our response today. If I were to be told I had inoperable breast cancer tomorrow, my response would be very similar to hers, a sort of denial and then realisation and then searching for every way that one can get treated. Um, We didn't mention when talking about antibiotics that, of course, any hospital admission, uh, 50% of the people, and this is 50%, it has been shown, came out feet first because infection rates in hospitals were just huge. We've mentioned Louis' response to dementia. Um, I think the other thing that's important is to realize that they did have extended family support, and that's very important equally to us today, that when um, 
they uh, moved to, to Lisieux, they had a great time with their cousins next door. They used to go down to the seaside, used to go and visit their great aunt and pick apples in the trees and go fishing a lot with their dad. So there were a lot of very normal and wonderful activities they did with their cousins. Um, and then the other aspect we've not really mentioned is the um, difficulties that they had with Leonie, who had developmental delay. Uh, again, quite a common problem these days. And uh, the impact that had on her education and her behavior, really. And, and mum, if anybody were to make anybody a saint, I would say Leonie made her mother a saint, not the other way around, <laughs> because of the challenges she put her through. And this is very reassuring. When you've got a child for whom you feel nothing works, that you're hopeless as a mother, you're a failure or, or as a father. She, uh, Zili went through all that with Leonie and Leonie will be the next canonized saint in this family. But not because of mum, but because Leonie's effect on mum made her a saint, I think. Well, you've written a wonderful book. I know our listeners are going to want to read this. And there are so many details in this about their family life that are surprising and reassuring and make you feel like our family could be like that. Our, we we can follow in their footsteps because so much of it was in um, just in simplicity. So, Annette, thank you for being with us today on the Carmelite Conversations podcast. Um, Rooted in Love is available from ICS Publications and on Amazon. Are there other places that listeners can find it to pick up a copy? Yes, there are, yes. Uh, but they're in England, of course. There's um, Carmelite Book Service at the Oxford Priory, Carmelite Priory. And uh, Blackwell's in Oxford also sells it. Slightly cheaper, I might add. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's two uh, sources in England. That's wonderful. Well, we will include links to Rooted in Love in the show notes. And thanks for listening to this episode of Carmelite Conversations. Thank you very much, Tim. And thank you, everybody who's been listening. <laughs>